listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies, here to bring an independent voice to truckies right round Australia. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. And Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Go to www.qr.com.au. Well, finally, here we are. We've made it. Welcome to our all-singing, all-dancing, celebratory episode 100. Now, we warned you that this special episode was going to be big. Well, to be honest, we've created a monster. In celebration of our 100th and in recognition of the incredible support of our long-standing sponsor, NTI, this week we bring you some great interviews, including chats with Craig Carmody from NTI, Supercars drivers with the truck assist Matt Stone Racing Team, Todd Hazelwood and Jack LeBrock, and Don, the man who drives their supercars transporter from race to race. Plus, something to talk about later on with Adam Gibson from NTI, all the latest as usual from the On The Road newsroom, and in addition to all of that, not one but two great giveaways from Truck Assist and Little Trucker Down Under. We've got fantastic music from Courtney Kyle and Amber Lawrence with Darlinghurst. There's all this and there's more, more, more. So settle back and celebrate with us. It's going to take a while, so let's get this show on the road. Yes, get over there. G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. <laughs> this is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24 7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. I've got Craig Carmody with me today, National Development Manager for Transport within NTI. And he is responsible for the roadside component of the Truck Assist Program. So we're going to find out all about the Truck Assist Program, what it is, and the name behind the race car team. Craig, welcome to the show. Morning, Mike. How are you? Absolutely wonderful, mate. Absolutely wonderful. Looking forward to our conversation. Fantastic. Truck Assist, mate. I, it's, I think it's probably one of the best-kept secrets in transport. I know when I was an owner-driver, mate, I'd have given just about anything because the biggest pain in the bottom that you can have when you're out on the side of the road as an owner-driver is you've got no backup. Yeah. And Truck Assist, I suppose, people might not like me saying this, but it's a little bit like the auto club for trucks instead of cars. It's probably a fair analogy, to be honest, Mike. It really is you know, specialising vehicles over three and a half tonne. That's our expertise. We don't try to play in the car market at all. As for best kept secret, it's it's interesting analogy that because we have been around for a while. We've been doing it for over fifteen years now. Yeah. But the reason the brand is probably more prominent, probably in the last five, is we've only really released a retail program at the Brisbane Truck Show. I think it was in seventeen. So yes, it's about five years old as a retail brand. But prior to that, as I said, it has been a wholesale brand, which is why it probably wasn't in that public view. 
So we've got a lot of relationships with the truck manufacturers and that's effectively where our roadside program started. From our insurance side, we've got an interesting part strategy where we like to control the quality of parts that go into all the smash repairs. So we work directly with the manufacturer and we supply genuine OEM parts for all our smash repairs. And that allowed us to establish a strong relationship with the OE, the OE being the manufacturer. And one of the pain points they had was they had the roadside assistance issue as well. And we've, over the years, since 2001, we actually established our claim services proposition, which really allowed us to leverage the towing industry mainly. So we had great relationship with those guys. We worked with them to develop standards, procedures, and also investment in equipment. And I think NTI was probably, or we were recognized for a lot of awards and stuff on our claim services. So that was probably the catalyst of the roadside. It started with that infrastructure. And we said to the first manufacturer was Izuzu. And as you know, they're the largest truck retailer in Australia. They are, yep. They've got about 30% of the market, I'd say. And very good operators, very customer focused too. And that was probably where we aligned very well. And they had the issue of some of their larger trucks breaking down and what to do. So we said, well, look, this is where NTI is quite bold sometimes. We say we're not just an insurance company. We're certainly part of the transport logistics industry. And, and that's where we said, well, we can help. And that's where Roadside was first established with Izuzu. And not long after, we established a strong relationship with Hino. Again, had a nice working relationship regarding parts. And then we extended that to the roadside offer as well. And those relationships are still very strong today. From that, we've got another few other OEs as well. Western Star, MIN, Dennis Eagle. And that's obviously part of the Penske umbrella. We do Penske rental leasing as well. We have another little program for a RV called Auto Trail. Right. Same thing. It's basically on a truck chassis. So we said, look, we can help. And then we've also, part of the program, there's a lot of fleet stuff. So we've got a few fleets that, whilst they do have more infrastructure and they have a fleet that is multiple different brands of trucks, we often tailor a product to suit those guys. And they'll have a 1-800 number. We've got a nice large fleet with 100 trucks. And they have their own 1-800 number that we manage. They have an accident or a breakdown. We'll manage that. We call it as driver assist program. Yep. So it's quite unique in that game. So it's a best kept secret. We are actually quite a mature little business in roadside, and so we have been doing it for 15 years. The retail side of it, as you rightly said, there for the owner-driver, and that was certainly why we went to do that and why we decided to do it then. Because we looked at the truck market, to be fair, and like there's some of my numbers might be a little bit dated, it's in 12 months or so, but you know, there's over 600,000 registered trucks on the road. And of that, 80% of them are probably rigid trucks. Yep. And again, of that percentage, a lot of them aren't in transport. They are carpenters and plumbers and bakers and stuff. So they're not really in that transport industry and probably don't have the same relationships you probably have established for years up and down the highways. Right. So that was the customer that we thought we needed to help in that regard, the people that didn't have that insight into trucks and transport. So we positioned it there and we were just looking at the same offering, obviously detailing up to limits. There's tire breakdowns, whether it be a replace your tire or get a technician out to replace a spare tire, flat batteries, including jump starts and replacements, lockouts, windscreen, hydraulic hoses, bog vehicles, overheating, towing recovery and all that stuff. So it's quite comprehensive, but as you said, it's very similar to what you would expect in any roadside service yeah. because it is about getting your vehicle going. It's about business continuity or vehicle uptime, whatever word people like to use. Yeah. And that's been NTI's philosophy from our claim services day, getting the right people to do the right job in the right time at the right cost. 
one of the hardest things I know from experience, and things happen on the side of the road, as they always do, whether it's because you've come into contact with an animal or just like I did last week, blew a bloody steer tyre. Sometimes you're in a position where you don't know anyone around that can give you a hand. You can waste hours trying to find someone to give you a hand. But if you've got a number that you can ring and all those resources are already locked in and people are there, at least then it may cost you a couple of bucks to get the program in place, but you can save yourself a lot of pain. As I always say, time is money. And if you don't have that infrastructure, it is awfully tough. To be fair, like we do a lot of breakdowns. Like we're probably managing over twelve hundred breakdowns a month at the moment. And yeah, we still, like every other one, have issues getting to providers sometimes. We've got national networks everywhere, but in some remote areas, yeah, we might just have to get on the phone and just ring someone. Fortunately, we, you know, with our brand being as strong as it is, we've got a good reputation of paying the bills. Yeah. With the service provider network, so we don't have problem and that is often the battle with some of these smaller operators. If those providers don't know you, they might not jump up at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> to go and do it. And that, to be fair, that was one of the battles we had early on. Yeah, we get the towing costs and stuff and people go, oh, I can always get that cheaper. Yeah, but it's tough to get it cheap on Saturday morning at three o'clock to get someone out. So everyone's got a mate who's got a mate who's got a mate. Yep. It can help them out until they need to. So we do invest a lot of energy into our service provider network because that is certainly our promise. Well, I was just looking at the table of things that are covered that you mentioned before, mm. and uh, you've got the two plans. You've got the value plan and the premium plan, and sort of says here on the bottom that on the value plan, it covers up to $1,000 a call-out and $1,500 on the premium plan for a call-out. So if I need a tyre on the side of the road at Narendra and you call someone out, then that's covered, is it? Yeah, yeah the, the call-out costs and the travel of the technician to get there is covered. The tyre itself is on you. So that's the customer's responsibility. But our promise is to get you going. Yeah. So we will get a technician out there. So we will pay him his call-out fee and his travel cost to get out there and get you going. It makes it really good for yourself because these guys know they're going to come out and they will get paid. Yep. There's many occasions out there where people get out there and they haven't got the capacity to pay in some way. Yep. And it's also good for the small to medium fleets. And if different as an owner-operator compared to a, even a small business that's got three or four trucks, because not all the drivers have a company credit card, yep. so they can't do that. So this way, it's a bit of forward planning on your fleet. Yeah, and your fleet can be two trucks for some people and could be 200 trucks for others. If you're not driving and you don't have the company credit card, it's a really good way to do that. And the other probably big key issue on that entire thing too, I think, Mike, is the OH&S responsibilities on the side of the road now. It's getting harder and harder to fix vehicles on the side of the road. Hmm. And there's a lot of technicians you know, don't want to do that will often have to get it towed to a safe area. Yep. So as drivers are evolving, I guess, and as we all know, it's getting tough to get good drivers these days. So it's tough to get any drivers. So them wanting to get out on the side of the road and change tyres is probably becoming the exception now. So again, this program helps that as well for those people who are trying to manage their driver. So as we said, we're looking at the plans there. There's the basic plan and the premium plan. One covers you for 1000 one covers you for 1500 What's the actual retail cost for that, mate? If I'm an owner-driver and I'm looking to participate in this, yep. how much is it going to cost me? That's the bottom line. Yeah, Mike. So the value plan retails at $479 per annum. Yep. And that gives you $1,000 per breakdown. Yep. So certainly good value at that. Yep. And you can do monthly payments is the other key thing on that. Yep. And the premium plan is $785. So, and again, that's a $1,500 worth of breakdown cover per event. 
So, again, same thing. Well, so basically 50% of the cover that you're going to get from one event. Correct. Well, I'll tell you what, mate, that seems pretty reasonable considering some of these technicians and service and call-out fees can be pretty huge. I know the first thing that ever went through my brain if I had something break on the side of the road was how much is this going to cost me? Yeah. To have that worry taken away is probably an excellent thing. Yeah. And it's not just the cost, as you said before, it's access to that network. Yep. And it's giving small owner drivers, you know, that little bit of fleet confidence, I guess, to know that you have access to someone who can help mm. there to assist. Very, very, very handy when you're on the <laughs> side of the road. You don't know who to call. You go, oh, I need some assistance. <laughs> true, true. It seems like the whole thing's pretty much wrapped up and it's a package. How do you get on to truck assist? How, how does that happen? Yeah, well, there's a couple of pathways, to be fair. The manufacturers have some programs and they also have some programs after the warranty period. So that's like Zuzu and Hino and Western Star. Mm. So you can still use them. They have a couple of year extension programs. But the other way certainly is just on Truck Assist through the website. Jump on there and all you need is your rego number. You can put your truck in, you pick your plan. We call the value plan a premium plan. Like we often toy with the thing about people felt it was either a light truck or a big truck and that's not true because you can have a small truck that's traveling lots of k's and it's going to be in remote areas so you will need that larger cover for towing to get it back to a place of repair and vice versa you might have a large truck that's just in metro things so it's one of those things that your plan's going to be suited to your business it's not made for large trucks or small trucks specifically yeah to answer your question just go straight to the website it's quite easy rego select your plan and go from there all right craig We'll just have a quick break and hear from NTI, the sponsors of the show, and we will come back. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents, and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. So what do you see happening down the track? Obviously, we've got trucks, electric trucks coming along. We've got more and more technology in the trucks and sometimes technology becomes the issue. How do you see that being dealt with down the track? Yeah, that's actually a really good point, Mike. And that's probably why we actually did establish the retail program. We were quite happy doing wholesale through the manufacturers, but we just realized that the average truck was getting older. They're around 13 odd years old now. As we said before, the driver's expectations are changing. A good analogy that we had once was a guy said he's got something wrong with his tires. He didn't get out of the truck, looked out the window. Mm-hmm. So we sent a tire technician out and he got out there and he called back and said he need a tow truck because his whole hub's broken off. <laughs> it's not his expertise. He's a driver. so And that's okay. And there's all different walks there. I'm not judging that by any means. It's just he wants to drive the truck. He's not there to change a tire or have a good look. We triage those calls. Not better. Like that was an early incident where we said, okay, we've got to ask a few more questions. Yeah. So we send the right technician out yep. because, yeah, that cost us two a tire guy and a tow truck. And the other thing, you know, as you said, with the new technology, 
we have had this instance where the, we call it the Good Samaritan thing, where there's a lot of old diesel fitters and I'm a diesel mechanic by trade and I'd hate to be working on a new vehicle now because they're just not the same. So we've had situations where people run out of fuel on the side of the road on a modern engine. Someone stopped giving them a bit of a top up and tried to bleed the fuel system, which you don't do anymore, and the thing caught on fire. Yep. So the knowledge base now, and which is why we don't have a whole lot of second tier providers we really partner with the manufacturers and their dealer network because they're the experts in their vehicle. So we really try to engage with them. And that new technology side in the modern engines, and this is the diesel engines I'm talking about, needs expertise. Yep. So the Joe Blow and the Good Samaritan, trying to stop and give you a hand is not always the best outcome these days. Yeah. Yeah, on the new, new technology as in alternate fuel stuff, both hydrogen and electric are making a big play in the market and NTI has always been fortunate enough to be at the front of that. The businesses they enter these markets come and talk to us, whether it be about roadside or insurance. Certainly on the roadside, we just released a program with Sea Electric and called Sea Connect. Yeah. In partnership with those guys, we set up a one eight hundred program that manages their inquiries and certainly their breakdowns. And a lot of it is about just educating and demystifying some of the risks with these electric vehicles. But from our perspective on the roadside. We want to make sure that our tire operators and repairers have the right skills and tools and insight to go out and competently go and fix these vehicles and get them back to a place of repair. Mm. I know there's a lot of other electric vehicles coming to market. So again, we like to be at the forefront of that. There's a great wide range of trucks and trailers and combinations out there on the road at the moment. Seems to be a whole lot of specialty vehicles as well, you know, concrete pumps and little cranes and all that sort of stuff running around. Mm. The short story of it is if it's a a truck or a truck-like vehicle that fits the criteria, a truck assist will look after it? Absolutely, yeah. If it's over three and a half tonne, that's probably a really good comment on the proposition itself. We've got hydraulic hose repairs as part of the benefits. And it is very much about... If your vehicle stopped operating for a reason, and I'll always use the scenario about a tailgate lifter. Yep. Yeah, so you might be delivering bread and you drop your tailgate lifter and it's blown a hydraulic hose. You can't go to your next stop because your truck's failed. It has nothing to do with the cab chassis. Yep. It's not the engine, it's not the brakes, but you can't do your job. So we'll still, under those plans, get a technician out there to replace your hose. Yep. So you'll pay for the hose or any oil. But we will pay the call out costs and travel costs to get a guy out there to fix that. Well, you're always going to have to pay for the bit to fix the problem. Yeah. The hard part is always getting someone with the right tools, the right experience in a timely manner to come and fix the problem. True, true. You take care of that part of it, and that is the benefit, isn't it? Absolutely. That is the benefit. And we're constantly growing our network. As we continue to grow, we call the truck park, you know, which is all the vehicles that we manage. We've got over 65,000 on there now. We don't create any more breakdowns, and it's quite an interesting conversation internally about that. Like, there's no more breakdowns going to be caused because our, our truck park grows. It will just be that we'll facilitate more. So, so we're constantly working with our provider networks to grow. COVID certainly has a, had an effect on some of the service providers, you know, being blocked away, not being able to go out. So, you know, again, working with the industry there to try to enhance that network. Just to wrap it up. It's 24-7, 365 days a year. It's Australia-wide, unlimited call-outs. You can have more than one truck covered, and you'll get expert assistance as quickly as possible when things go wrong. That's a pretty good summary. <laughs> yeah, and the 24-7 is key. 
that is how this industry works. Yeah. So we do we, we have our own service centers based in Newcastle. So they're operating 24-7 as well. You know, we have a number of different lines go in there. So they're competent in managing all those calls. And then they triage it. We're providing a service, not just managing a call. And it's all about case management for us. So we'll make sure that we close the loop and make sure no one's left stranded on the side of the road. Certainly our objective. That's the plan. Greg, thanks for joining us on the show. I look forward to talking to you again down the track. I know that you do a lot of stuff with the restoration areas, those old trucks that were restored and the motor neuron thing. That's all part of your wheelhouse too, isn't it? Very lucky and fortunate to have that part within my PD, I guess. Hmm. Those trucks are just magic to do and, and working with the partners to do that is just so exciting. We partner with a lot of repairers and suppliers to try to get the best we can. We've done, I think we're up to six now. So we've done those couple of, we went to the Brisbane Truck Show the last couple of times. Mm. We sort of blue one last time, which Joel yeah, The jail bars. The jail yeah. bar. And then there was one called Roxanne, the red one. So they're beautiful. It's hard to say they're restorations because they're sort of remanufactured, to be fair. Yeah. So they've all got modern running gear, diesel engines, they're based on uh, Isuzu running gears and, and front end. Mm. And then we just pretty much put the jail bar stuff on it. We've got one now, which is an expedition vehicle, which is another NPS Isuzu with a slide-on camper. The philosophy behind that was people are coming out of COVID. Yep. They still need to work. They still need to make an income. But the time to get away with your family, you know, now that we're, everyone was traveling again. So that was a bit of a push behind that theory. We'll have a couple more coming out soon, which will probably be revealed later this year. It's a very good cause. You know, I was fortunate enough to work under his leadership when I first started NTI. And a um, very inspirational guy, and again, T.I. just loves getting behind that cause and supporting it. Yeah, it's great. Absolutely. Mate, it's been great to have a chat with you. We'll get back with you later on in the year when we want to talk about these new vehicles that you've got coming, because I love the resto stuff. Oh, well, we'll have to organise and take it for a drive. Mate, you won't have to twist my arm. <laughs> Too easy. Uh, well, next time, around Rockley, drop in and we can have a look at the, the other dual pad there, which is a beast. It's another Jalba-inspired vehicle, but it's a dual cab. Yep. So it's a bit wider and it's a bit longer and it's on big tyres. So it's a nice promotional truck. And one day someone will also be the lucky winner of that and all our proceeds go to Motor Neuron as well. Well, mate. Thank you very much, Mike. Yeah, thanks very much, Craig. And we will catch you later. Stay safe out there, mate. We'll see you on the road. Thanks, mate. Drive safely. Cheers. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On The Road podcasts every week on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there. And in the meantime, take care of you. Big over there, Andy. Yeah, Mike, got you go. Mate, we're coming up that level crossing we were talking about before. Looks like we're going to be stopping. Roger that. Look at the size of that thing. They tell me they take about two k's to stop. That's like 20 times the length of the MCG. Would want to be playing chicken with that. Yeah, copy that. They can't exactly swerve either, can they? They're stuck to the tracks, mate. <laughs> it's not that hard to wait till it's safe to cross and make sure the road's clear on the other side. Yeah, not like that bloke last week who forgot about the length of his trailer. Yeah, I heard about that one. It's not really funny, though, when you think about it. Poor old train driver. Probably been having nightmares ever since. Yeah, I reckon. We're all in the same boat, really, mate. Everyone just wants to get home safe at the end of the day. Yeah, not wrong on that one. There goes the last carriage. Looks like we're safe to head off now. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> 
Long way to go after you, old mate. This is a message from Queensland Rail reminding us that it's important to stay alert and obey any signs and signals when approaching level crossings to help keep you and everyone else safe. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. She sang the national anthem on the grid of the Supercars Championship opening round at Bathurst Mount Panorama Circuit last year. Here she is, the delightful Courtney Kyle. My name is Courtney Kyle and you're about to listen to my brand new single, The One on the Road. I can still hear my granddad telling me I'm the roots of this family tree I've watched you grow and wild and free And I did a bit of that just like you Then the summer of I found out what my heart was for She was everything I dreamed of more I want you to feel that too You can wrap it in a bow, put a ring around it You can write it in a song and sing about it When it's right, put it tight like it's never gonna come undone You can fall so deep that you drown in it If you're lost, you can even get found in it It's like finding a diamond shining in the sun
As most of you would know, our wonderful podcast partners and sponsors, NTI, have been heavily involved for some time now in the Australian Supercars series. With both the NTI and Truck Assist sponsorship logos featuring strongly everywhere you look each time you tune into a televised round of the Australian Supercars Championship from racetracks right round the country. In addition to their broader support of this racing category, NTI have also provided direct sponsorship to race teams with their Truck Assist product and are currently in a multi-year naming rights deal with the Queensland-based Matstone Racing Team. The two Matstone Racing ZB Commodores carry the truly striking Truck Assist orange and metallic grey livery on both cars, which will carry over onto the new Gen 3 Chevy Camaros they'll be running in the 2023 championship. When our friends at NTI asked us if we'd like an opportunity to chat with the Matstone Racing Team drivers, well, let's just say our reply was something along the lines of, hell yeah. So, here to help us celebrate our 100th episode are Aussie supercar young gun drivers, Todd Hazelwood and Jack LeBrock. Todd and Jack, thanks for finding the time to join us on the road. No problem at all. Thank thanks for uh, having us as part of the show. Guys, I was just looking on the MSR website at photos of the number 34 and 35 racing Commodores decked out in that gorgeous truck assist livery. They really are great looking cars. Yeah, thank you. Now, they're, they're certainly the orange and the, and the gunmetal grey, or as we call it, truck assist grey, really does stand out. And yeah, it's been a really popular car for all the fans this year, having two cars, almost identical liveries for both Jack and I. And most importantly, they go fast as well. It's been a good year for us both, and we're back half of the season now getting ready for it, and it should be good. Excellent. Now, as you just mentioned, that they are pretty much identical to look at. Do you guys ever accidentally jump into the wrong car? Well, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe soon. Maybe we should give it yeah. a go. Yeah, maybe we should give it a go. See how we go. Just for the fun of it, yeah. Yeah. The only, only problem would be is that Jack's pretty tall compared to me. I'm pretty short in the legs, so I might battle a bit. <laughs> yeah, look, I noticed that. You're like me. You're pretty tall for your height. Yeah. <laughs> Although they do look much the same, I expect they've got their own individual characteristics dialed in to suit each of your individual preferences and requirements, yeah? Yeah, exactly. I guess, you know, that's the unique thing of supercars, although we've got the same rule book and the cars look pretty similar from the outside. But when you're working with your team and your engineer, you know, both Jack and I have got our own individual engineer that we work with. So mm. there's always a few little discrepancies in setup. Obviously, from a team point of view, we try and work united as much as possible to ensure that we can help each other. You know, if you've got one car doing one thing and the other doing you know, a completely different program, it makes it hard to obviously evolve and work together and, and ultimately get success. So that's one thing that both Jack and I have been trying to focus on is ensuring that our cars are as similar as possible. But as you said, yeah, there are small differences, but, you know, as far as the car, the way it's designed is, you know, it's pretty much identical, I guess. Yeah. Next year, we see the introduction of the new Gen 3 cars, which is really exciting. And you guys will both be moving into brand new Chevy Camaros. Have you had a chance to get behind the wheel and do some testing of them yet? No, we haven't yet. I think we'll actually get the chance very soon, which would be cool. We had a bit of a sitting one up at Townsville and yeah, we both fit. So that's always that bonus. We got in there and made ourselves comfortable, but yeah, they look like awesome bits of machinery. So they've done a really good job on developing them so far and I'm actually looking forward to getting into it and seeing what they can do. From what I've heard and read, they're very, very different to what we're driving now. They move around a lot more with a lot less downforce. Mm. There'd be a lot of similarities as well. Like we're on the same tire, it's a similar sort of package in terms of braking, slightly different, but should be a bit of fun. Yeah. So you'll have, I guess, later on in the year, some shakedown runs out of Queensland Raceway to get it all together? 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where we'll get into it. So hopefully more places than not. But I think it should be definitely a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to seeing how they go. So I think everyone's probably pretty keen to see some nice new cars on the grid next year and seeing that Camaro versus Mustang happen. Yeah, for sure. I'm certainly one. Now, do you think there's going to be changes you're going to need to make to your driving style? You're talking about the downforce there and so on. Do you think there'll be big changes or, or a fairly smooth transition across? With the cars for next year, obviously, with, you know, they've got bigger capacity motor, less downforce. So no doubt the cars are going to be a little bit more edgier to drive. Yeah. Probably trying to keep the thing in a straight line out of the corner is going to be a challenge. And, you know, we're very undertired in supercars. So, yeah. you know, essentially for the amount of horsepower and the amount of weight the car has, we're very limited with traction. So, yeah, I think it should make the sport more entertaining, but it's certainly going to provide a bit of a challenge for us drivers. Yeah, as Jack said, we haven't driven it yet, so this is what we're preempting at this stage. Yeah. But, yeah, looking forward to it either way. It should be good for the sport and a good spectacle for everyone watching at home. Well, it certainly should be. If we've got a bunch of squirrely cars out there having a good time, yeah. it'll be great. Yeah, exactly. When the new Gen 3 Camaros and the Mustangs hit the track in 2023, and this is a bit hard, I guess, but do you think anything will change? I mean, should we expect closer racing or do you think one of the brands might have an early edge? Don't know. It's hard to say. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I suppose everyone's doing the testing. They're meant to be doing it from, I suppose, the team point of view, like the TA that are looking after the Camaro side and DJR doing the Mustangs. So, yeah, I'm sure everyone's trying to learn as much as they can and they get involved along to drive these cars. But, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one. It's going to be very much shake it up. It's like when that cough car came in for the first time. Yeah. It was a big shake up within the field. It was very interesting, I think, provided some really cool racing. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be one of those things, the teams that get onto it first are going to shine and have a few happy results moving forward. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. They say it's going to be quite controlled and it's going to be very, very similar, which is great for the sport. There's still so much you can change and move in the car and each engineer, even up and down to your lane, still going to have a different idea on how to make that car achieve its speed. Yeah. So I think we're going to see some pretty interesting stuff over the first half of the season anyway while everyone tries to get their head around the new car. Yeah, for sure. Now, most supercars drivers have a favourite track that really suits them in their driving style. What would be your favourite, Jack? My favourite? Other than Bathurst, because... It's everyone's favourite. Yeah, yeah. So I'll push that one aside because I feel like that's on everyone's list. But for me, I actually love the Gold Coast and Newcastle, funnily enough. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, it's just something about it. I love a street circuit, jumping over curbs. And to be honest, probably Newcastle's probably up there is probably the favourite. Just purely dropping down the hill off turn three there and sort of almost like a bit of a roller coaster. If I would, I'd take my hands off the wheel and just fire down there with my arms in the air, but probably, probably wouldn't work out that well. So, yeah, it's just the only downside to that is that they're hard to race on, but that's all right. It's all a bit of fun just flying around and jumping over some curbs. Oh, yeah, all those concrete walls, you're mad. What about you, Todd? What's your favourite? Yeah, I'm probably a little bit the same as Jack, to be honest. You know, for me, I grew up in Adelaide, and every year I used to go to the Adelaide 500 street circuit, which was originally the first and opening round of the Supercars Championship. Yep. So to be there as a fan and then to race there is pretty cool. And as Jack mentioned, you know, the challenge that we have behind the wheel in a supercar around street circuits is really nothing else like it. And street circuits sort of provides that opportunity where you may not have the best set up car, but you can sort of use the curbs and the bumps and the undulation to your advantage to sort of feel like you're almost hustling the car a bit. Whereas you go to some of these more, obviously, world-class professional circuits, but you are more reliant on the setup and the balance of the car. Yeah. Yeah, just I love the challenge of it all. There's no better thrill than having a supercar sideways, running it right up to a concrete wall. There's just no room for error. And yeah, yeah it really does get the adrenaline going, I guess. Obviously, Bathurst is just in another league in itself. Mm. The commitment you need to be fast there, 
the average speed and obviously the history, there's nothing that really can compare it to anything at all, I guess. So between those two, it's certainly up there on my list. Yeah, for sure. Now, you've both been around supercars for a few years now, and both of you have come through from other categories of racing where you've had a great deal of success. If you had to pick a standout memory of the highlight of your career so far, what would it be? Ooh, uh, what's a decent one? <laughs> Try to... They'd all have to be decent, I guess. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, my favourite memories, I think, was probably the Bathurst 12-hour when we were on the podium there. And yeah, it was only a third place, but considering we had contact with the Roo, like on lap six of that race, had yeah. half the front bar missing and half the front slitter missing as well. We thought we'll, we're done and we're circulating for the day and the team at Erebus there and there. So let's get us back out there and back honking along. And that was pretty special to share that with old Will Davo and Greg Crick. Yeah. So yeah, that's up there for me. That was in the E63, was it? Uh, yeah, the SLS GD3 car. All oh, right. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. The old gull wing weapon. Mm. Still one of my favourite cars I've driven. It was a cool piece of kit, that thing. Beautiful thing indeed. And what about you, Jack? Look, for me, probably as far as a career highlight, just being in supercars in general, I guess. Yeah. You know, that was always the dream and the ambition from a young kid. And to be here now, part of the elite 25 in the field, it's a bit of an honour. and For sure. It's a cutthroat game and it's ruthless, but... Yeah, for me, that's where I wanted to be and very happy to be here now. Yeah, well, you talk about it being cutthroat and ruthless, but whenever the cameras fall on you guys in the MSR pit garage, you always seem to be having a great time. Clearly, beyond being teammates, you're also good mates away from the racing. But when it comes to race day and the game faces are on, do you guys get really competitive with each other, both on and off the track? I don't know. I feel like Jack and I, we're pretty relaxed sort of guys. Away outside the car, obviously, don't get us wrong, we want to win Mm. and particularly when we're trying to obviously progress the team and make the cars faster. We're both pushing each other pretty hard to understand basically how we can try and help each other when it comes to the car setup. Our big goal together this year is to ultimately try and progress the team at Matt Stone Racing as a group. Mm. There's a lot of passion and hunger within our group outside of both Jack and I to make that next step into the team. MSR has obviously got some fantastic grassroots from where it all originates from, from the Stone family and obviously the history that stems off that. Yeah. But, yeah, Matt's pretty motivated to make a name for himself in his sport from his own program and, you know, we're keen to be a part of that. So from our point of view, I feel like our hunger to be success is healthy. We try and obviously enjoy our time while we can behind the scenes because the racing side can both be tolling physically and emotionally sometimes. Sure. You generally have more bad days and good days in our sport, so you've got to try and learn how to manage those wave of emotions and manage your own expectations because obviously you want to win, but at the same time, winning doesn't come around every day of the week. So you've got to try and manage how you get your head in the game and obviously keep building the whole program at the same time. It's a unique combination to try and get the headspace right. Yeah. So tough question, but getting the crystal ball out, how do you guys see the rest of the season panning out for the 34 and 35 Matt Stone Racing Commodores? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously we're at smack bang in the middle of the championship as we speak. Mm. We've got six events remaining and we've probably got some of the biggest races to come yet with both Bathurst, Gold Coast and Adelaide to finish out the championship. Mm. We're actually going over New Zealand for the first time for a couple of years as well and it actually just got announced this morning that it'll be the last time that we race around the Bukakoe Circuit in New Zealand, which is huge for New Zealand motorsport. Oh, really? They're actually going to stop all motorsport around the Bukakoe Circuit, which is quite sad. It is. But obviously that means that this year is going to be huge for when we uh, make the trip over to New Zealand, which we're all keen to go over there for. Mm. I think for us as a, as a team, Jack's had a, a really good run of results in the last couple of rounds and I had a really strong start to the year, but the last couple of rounds haven't been so great for me personally. So 
pretty motivated to try and get some form and where we can see both cars consistently running towards the front of the field. We seem to be taking turns at the moment of who's having a good weekend and who's having a bad one. Right. Yeah, I think for us, you know, if we could get some consistency across the group, ensuring that our cars are maintained well and to finish off, obviously, final year of his current generation of chassis as well. I think if we can finish this year on a high before we move into the Gen 3 era, which is somewhat an unknown, to be honest. So mm. we're pretty keen to... You know, ultimately, we'd love to try and get the team's first podium before the year commences, which is a goal between us all, and we're pushing harder than ever to achieve that. Brilliant. Well, all of us here in the team at On The Road are right behind you guys, obviously, with our tie-in with the NTI and with Track Assist. We'd certainly wish you ongoing success through the rest of this season's racing in those gorgeous Track Assist Matt Stone Racing Commodores and for next year when the Gen 3 hits the road. Sadly, we're out of time for now, but it's been great to have a chat with you both and really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming out to play on the road with us. No worries at all. Cheers, mate. Cheers, guys. Now, following on from our chat with Todd and Jack from the Truck Assist Matt Stone Racing Team, our great friends from NTI and Truck Assist have given us a fantastic Truck Assist Racing supporters package to give away. The pack includes a team polo shirt, cap and puffer vest, so if you want to go into the draw for a chance to win this great prize, simply text your name, contact phone number, clothing size like small, medium, large, extra large, extra, extra large, or like Mike, small marquee, and the code words truck assist to 0418-722-488. Now get your entry in quick for a chance to win this great prize. Once again, text your name, phone number, clothing size and the code words truck assist to 0418-722-488. Good luck. Now, as you guys know, the supercars get around in these dirty great big trucks, transporters with all the beautiful sign writing and the chrome wheels and all that sort of stuff. I wonder how they keep them so clean. And I've managed to get hold of Donnie. Now, Don, as he prefers to be called, drives the Truck Assist Team Transporter. I find out all about the Transporter and what he carts about inside, about the cars and what his role is in the team. Don, welcome to the show, mate. How you going? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, mate, thanks for coming on. You guys are mythical creatures. We see you getting up and down the road. You're travelling in packs. Yes, like wolves nearly in the hunt. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe they're making you drive a daff, mate. Yes, running a nice little death for the season or even maybe into next season, just you know, getting the brand out there. So a few of the other people that are after a cheaper, very economical-type truck. They're fairly nicely appointed inside, though, aren't they? Oh, they've got everything that goes for them. Exactly right. Very comfortable, very plasticky, very daff-like. Very daff-like. <laughs> if you can say daff-like. Apparently there's a newer model getting released into Australia later in the year that could have a few more things to entice the anti-death people to actually look at one. <laughs> oh, no, they're not that bad, surely. No. I had a bit of a drive of uh, some of the later European trucks. I've driven a Mercedes. You had one of those for a while, didn't you? Yeah, we run the Actrosses for uh, three seasons now. They're a nice truck. Yeah, I thought they were all right. I test drove one of the, the mirrorless ones and it took a little bit to get used to, but I thought it was all right in the finish after I'd had a bit of a go at it for about a week. Yes, no, it's um, all, all technology, isn't it? It is, mate. Like mobile phones and everything, everything's bringing out things with buttons and sensors now than the old uh, levers and pushing things. I've got to ask, mate, how do you get the gig? How do I get to be a supercar transporter driver? Who do I have to knock over the head? <laughs> it's not as glamorous as you think. Uh, I started off as in working in the workshop. Oh, right, eh? 
and I always had a bit of a passion for trucks, so I was doing the old panel beating painting yep. and making things all nice and shiny for drivers to smash up. Yep. And they looked for a truck driver, and I thought, well, I could do the truck driving thing. I'd like to have a go. So then it was Ross Stone at Stone Brothers when I worked. You know, I applied, and he shut me down. So then I applied through my wife's email. Yep. And he came back to say, oh, who's this person? And I said, well, they've obviously got V8 supercar experience. And it turned out it was me. <laughs> so he gave me a gig, but he said to another guy that he actually promised the job to that only lasts a couple of weeks, and I won't like it. And it was 2010. I've basically been running around with them since then. Right. <laughs> So you didn't come from line hall at toll or something like that and go, oh, I think I'll be a supercar transporter driver and just move across. You're a, sort of a homegrown one. Yeah, exactly right. I, I was more of the opposite. I got a B-double license early on, but then never drove one. Yeah. Apart from a thing. So when I started driving, it was like it was all quite new. Yeah. So I was always having a bit of trouble trying to back it onto a 100 mil marker or something like that. You see, there was where other truck drivers have done millions of kilometres truck driving and I've sort of wanted to slow down and go to, you know, nice gear and just, you know, the odd drive a week type of thing. You keep it pretty clean. That obviously is part of the job description. You will be clean 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no matter what. Oh, nearly. They clean when we get back to the workshop. And then basically once you start driving, like if you're doing a drive to Darwin and that, sometimes they can get a bit filthy. Yep. And then you wash them before they go to the track, and that's half the thing too. The sponsorship and all that, they like everything looking nice. Yep. You've got general public and that walking around, touching them, looking at them. So if you've got them nice, it's all reflects on how well the team is and how pride everyone's got. It's a unique job. There's no point saying one thing and, and meaning another. You've got millions of dollars worth of stuff in those trucks, no doubt. I don't know what a car's worth, but they don't come cheap. So Yeah, they're way out of my bloody budget. <laughs> <laughs> so there's obviously a certain amount of pressure on you to make sure that you don't make any mistakes. Obviously, all truck drivers have that pressure, but I can't imagine if there was a mishap on the way to the track, I don't think anyone would be very happy. Does it ever happen? We've been lucky enough well, since I've been driving, no, everyone's been going pretty quiet. Hmm. You can't be one of those ratbags that are carving through traffic and carving people out when you've got you know, 26 metres of large signage. Yeah. So it's not like you can hide, so everyone knows. We've had even reports of the odd person dobbing one in only to find that they haven't been doing anything wrong. It's just someone that's just been a bit of a flog out there and wants to throw a bit of havoc to other people. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit hard to hide your identity. <laughs> I'll tell you what, mate, you put up some pretty cracking photographs too. I've seen pictures of you when you went over to the West and there were some nice pictures from out in the bite and that. You seem as though you're a bit of an amateur photographer. Photography was something I always thought of getting into and I never have. Hmm. So I've bought myself a little tiny drone, which sort of works a lot quite well, that I can take a few photos, which you don't get just standing holding onto your phone sort of thing. Yeah, right. So what sort of a drone did you buy? Oh, uh, DJI. Oh, yeah. Just one of the minis or something like that. I've had two of them now. I was taking a photo of a truck and I backed it into a tree and I didn't like that, so it didn't come out very good. <laughs> I've done that, mate. I've got one that's lost. It's not exactly lost. I know exactly where it is. <laughs> yeah. It's 30 metres up a gum tree out near Condoblin. <laughs> you know, it's like sometimes you're driving flat out. Well, flat out's understatement, but, you know, you're doing it until you break. You don't get time to say, oh, let's just stop here and take a photo. Because, mm. oh, no, we want to get to there at a certain time, not piss around on the side of the road. Yeah. If you can get a chance to wind down for a little bit and, and take a couple of pictures, it's always quite that good. Yeah. And the sponsors and that like it as well. Oh, yeah, of course. I love it because you're out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, some of the scenery that we drive past is just absolutely awesome. And you get to drive all over Australia. So you've just come back from Darwin. Yeah. Which way did you come? We came down through the Stuart Highway from Darwin and then turn off at uh, three ways to the Buckley Highway. Yep. And then basically come across Mount Isaway, keep following your nose till Buck Holden and then down through 
Oh, you go Longreach, Buck Aldrin, and then all the way down to bloody near the Ipswich and Logan Highway home. It's some pretty awesome scenery, out, particularly across down the down the main highway there. That... That's what I like. I come from a New Zealand background, so mm. what we do in a day in a truck nowadays, you can nearly circumnavigate New Zealand with it. Yeah, yeah. So you get to see a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of people in Australia don't even get to see what we get to actually look out the window at, so we're quite lucky. What's a typical week? So, for example, we're going to head off to Darwin. What's the next round, mate? Uh, Townsville. Townsville's the next round. That's the NTI round? It is the NTI round, correct. That's one of their big rounds. They've got a big stronghold up then into the world, so we do a bit of uh, we have quite a lot of public support with them fellas. What's the lead-up like for you as, as the driver? I mean, what's your job responsibility? Surely you do more than just drive the truck up and back. You know, you're getting ready for your race weekend. Next weekend, you're going to be in Townsville, say. Yep. What do you do, mate? When do you set off? What have you got to do? How long does it take you to pack the truck? What happens? Yeah, you normally pack a truck in a day, but normally most of those transport drivers, and well, myself and that, I look after all the wheels and tyres for the race cars. Right. So once we get back to the workshop and we've unloaded everything in that, I'll clean wheels, spin wheels, check tyres, and mount a set of tyres for the next practice for our next round Townsville. And then start loading stuff on your truck, start putting stuff back in your truck, making sure that what consumables and everything have been used have been replaced. So, yeah, we keep quite busy. So you used to be a panel beater, you said, and painter. Yep. It's a bit like the old cold trickle thing, mate. All that's going to hurt. We'll get him in the pits and kick the door in just to make sure he dented everything. <laughs> yeah, nearly something like that. <laughs> or, or something like that to go, oh, we're not even going to tie it in the truck. It's not going to get him all wrecked on the way home. <laughs> oh, man. Well, sometimes on the way home we can take a motorbike or something because you've got a bit more room. Yeah, right. The cars are a bit shorter than they first took off in there. <laughs> you must look at it as a panel beater and go, good God, really? <laughs> well, we're quite lucky nowadays. All the cars are basically composite, yep. which is old schools like your fiberglass. Some of that stuff that looks a bit nasty, and soon you take it off, it'll pop back into shape nearly, and you just have to do a little bit of repair reinforcing behind it. But, yeah, not like the old days where they just fold up like anything. I've seen some pretty horrific video of supercars getting out of shape and getting poked into the scenery, and some of those drivers do a pretty good job. <laughs> no, exactly right. Some of them are actually quite clever, but uh, if they're going to fall apart, they'll fall apart in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. So you're packing the transporter. What sort of stuff have you got in there? You're talking about consumables. That's the tyres and all that. Oh, that's all the stuff the workshop guys. Basically, we cut enough stuff to technically build the car twice. Okay. So there's doors, panels, bootlets, bonnets, all the mirrors and taillights and headlights and all that sort of scenario. And then we carry engines and transmissions and then uprights and suspension and nearly everything. So if you have a decent hit, unless it's really structural and it's, they've really put it in, mm. you normally can get it back going again by later in the day. So you've obviously got the tail lift and the two cars sit one on top of the other at the back. Cars sit behind each other at the back. They go right along. Oh, right. Oh, I thought they sat one on top of the other. Sometimes if you're running three, we'll have one on top of the other, but they basically sit on the top and they slide, push them right down to the nearly front. And then we've got all our toolboxes and all our other paraphernalia sits underneath it. Right. So, and what's in the A-trailer? Just spare parts in it? A-trailer, basically, it carries all the spare wheels, all the data stuff and our fuel rigs and stuff like that that ends up completely empty so it becomes an engineering room when they're at the track all the engineers sit around there all the boffins with their computers and that they sit around and check all the data and work out how the car's going to run righto so you pack the car up and you and you head off so yeah so we can get to Townsville Wednesday mm -hmm. or technically we'll get there Tuesday night 
we leave Monday, get there Tuesday, and then we wash the truck. This is one of the rounds where you don't have to wash it yourself. You take it to a truck wash. Yep. Then all the transporters sit at the same area in the same block, and we have a truck parade into the track from the truck wash area. And basically because the track's central into town, it gets all the B-doubles all in in one go. So they mainly close a little bit of the road. Everyone watches them toot past, and then they shut the door behind them, and then they'll just set up. So we're all, trucks are all packed up on Wednesday, and then Thursday weekend, the rest of the teams all turn up and unload, and we just start going from there. Yeah, right. Yeah, you unload everything and you get everything set up. How long does it take you from the time you sort of get set up to the time the cars are running around the track? Basically, we run nearly a whole bloody day setting shit up, pull everything out, and we've got walling in the garages, all your sponsors and that, you know, big wall panels and that go down. And They used to cut flooring around all the rubber tiles, but they've sort of everyone's gone away from that. Yeah, by the time you're ready to go for dinner, you're basically ready to go skidding around in the morning. Right, eh? Skidding around, jeez, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> skidding around, banging around, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> have you actually had a drive of one of the cars, have you? I've had a small drive, but not much. Years ago, when back in the SBR days, mm. when we were at Homebush, the cars used to be in the big building with the transporters, and they used to drive them out to the track. Yep. So one of the years there, we had uh, everyone on the team got to go to either driving it out or driving it back. Yeah, right. So uh, I, I picked the going out because I thought sometimes they don't come back. So <laughs> then if you picked them for that, you're never going to get a go. Yeah. But we've been lucky enough to have rides. You know, they have a corporate ride day where they bolt a seat and some seatbelts in a proper racing car and you give some laps with our talented drivers. So that's always quite exciting and a lot of people don't get to do that. Well, my son-in-law would nearly give his right arm to have a go at that. Oh, yeah, there are people out there. And then after a while, when you're in a while, you sort of lose that But where it's not that exciting. But then you realise when people are hanging around and they're just watching and, and looking and asking questions and all that, you realise, no, they're still pretty lucky to have, you know, jobs where a lot of people would like the same job, if you know what I mean. Yeah, mate, absolutely. I, I look at what you do and I, I think to myself, that'd be all right. Yeah, no, exactly right. Do Matstone Racing have some road cars that are done up and painted in the livery? We have one this year. Yes, we do. It's exactly like the two race cars. It's a ZB Commodore. Yeah. And they've put the big wing on the back and painted the wheels orange and put all the wrapped it up just like the supercar is. So um, it's something a bit different. But it's in Townsville as we speak. I got dropped off coming back from Darwin. Yeah, right. So it's obviously running around with NTI promoting the weekend racing and that. So yeah, so they have one off. I remember seeing one of the old Dick Johnson racing ones sitting in a mall somewhere up in Brisbane. Yes. And I thought, that's not a race car, it's a road car, you know? Yeah. And I thought everyone sort of would probably do one, you know? It's a thing that you can drive around because those race cars can't be driven on the street, can they? No, no. They take about a good half an hour, 45 minutes to get them bloody warmed up enough with uh, heaters and everything else, oil and that, before you can even kick them in the guts. Yeah. And then they don't like, oh, they like idling a bit, but they don't like between idle and flat out. So you have a good fun going to the shops and that in them. No good on Bow Desert Road at 8.30 in the morning, I wouldn't think. No, no. You'd wear your clutch out and everything before you got too far away. <laughs> I don't know where you are, but the roads around here, I think you wear the underside out all the bloody lumps on the road before you got too far. Yeah, no, it's pretty bloody ordinary, isn't it, some of it? Yeah. So when you're finished at the meeting, and I mean, what do you get to do during the meeting? You obviously just play with the tyres and things? Yeah, especially a lot of us just sit around and uh, you look after the tyres and that for uh, racing. Engineers will come and tell us what sets you on or what pressures you want to run at. Mm. And then you've got to sort of log them all and that, make sure you know which ones are done, how many cases. So, you only get a certain number of sets per weekend, so the best they manage the, gives them a something to they can race on properly on a Sunday. Yep. You know, with their best rubber left over sort of thing. So, mate, what's your uh, opening set for the uh, Townsville round? How much pressure are you going to put in those front tyres, buddy? 
Oh, mate, if I told you that, I'd have to kill you. But uh, at the moment, <laughs> supercars have jumped on the beam wagon and they run them at limited top pressures that we can't go under. So Darwin, we weren't allowed under 20 PSI. Right, eh? So, you know, way back in the black and white days, and that, they used to run around 12.5 or 13 PSI, not much in them at all. So they were having not tough failures, but tyres getting pinched on curbs and uh, drivers turning their cars into little piles of plastic all around the place. So they've sort of had to build them tyre pressures up a bit. So how much difference does tyre pressure make? Oh, I think it makes a bit. If it's softer on the ground, it's got more grip. And if it gets harder, then it'll work too hard and it'll get too hot. And then they hear them go like chewing gum, they start getting all slippery. Yep. And the life of a tyre, mate, we pay, I don't know, they're probably the same price as a decent road tyre. Yeah. And if we get around 100 k's out of them, we've done really well when you throw them in the bin. So I could imagine getting 100 k's out of your tyre to Camry tyres and that, you'd be getting a bit annoyed replacing that early. <laughs> I honestly can't imagine how much it costs to run a team. I like Matchstone Racing is a business. Yes. So businesses are there to make money. Exactly right. And I'd imagine that actually running one of those cars would be like hosing money up the wall. Oh, easy. How do you run a business? Well, you have to be a bit smart, but then like, if you're tearing a lot of shit up, you know, you start with a, I can imagine where I am in, in life over at the workshop there, I don't know all the governments and goings, but they probably have a budget at the start of the year. And even with how the economy's going, that, what we're paying for stuff this time of the year than what we were at the start's probably increased, so the budget's probably getting eaten up quite a lot. Even your fuel, you know, what the cost of a litre was at the start of the year to what you're paying now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I came back from Darwin with, I think my fuel bill was about $7,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. So, yeah, it's sort of, we're a small team compared to some of the teams further up the old order than us, so they've got a bigger budget than we are. Yeah. We're running around on uh, bits of panels that we end up repairing and painting again, and they get another life than opposed to getting new ones bought and, and kept. So, yeah, it's all much and much. But, yeah, it's a way to uh, lose a lot of money off you. <laughs> I can imagine you can make a small fortune as long as you started with a big one. Exactly. That's, that's how we always start, <laughs> isn't it? You want to make a fortune, might as well start with a bloody huge fortune. So, mate, funny stories. What's the sort of the funny things? I've been told you're good for a funny story. Don, get me a funny story, mate. Oh, I, I thought I was the first truck driver to drive around the F1 circuit at Melbourne in a B-double. Right. I drove in the gate and I didn't turn left, so I ended up realised I was on the track and then I couldn't turn around without ripping all the lawn up, so I had to do a bit of a cruise around the track right. in reverse direction, which is not as good. But, yeah, it's quite funny coming down past pit lane, seeing all the one fellas all stop sort of looking and seeing this thing cruising around. So <laughs> that was quite exciting. When you go to these joint rounds, things like the F1, yep. are we the poor cousins? Oh, definitely. Yeah, we're at the back of the tents. Yeah, those fellas there are spending, oh, some of them are probably spending around what most teams spend in a year. The V8s were, you know, always supported the F1s and the Indy cars and things like that. Mate, the sound of a V8, there's nothing like the sound of a V8. Oh, I'd just about say uh, nearly as good as the sound of a good rotary ribbon. <laughs> I keep telling Jimmy, Jimmy at work, he's been restoring old cars. He's got some of the old original SPR cars. Yeah. The old Ambrose car and the old Ingle car and that. And I said, we should do an Alan Moffat tribute car. Yeah. And he pricked his ears up and I said, uh, Stuyvesant RX-7 would be pretty cool when he didn't like that story. <laughs> there have been some pretty iconic moments that you see popping up on YouTube on a regular basis and things like, you know, yeah. Dick Johnson saying, gee, these old Falcons are easy to drive right before he smacked it into a rock. <laughs> 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 you know, I, I mean, you obviously you'd hear some funny stories and meet a few of the drivers. 
And there's some personalities in the pits too, I'd imagine. Oh, you do have a few personalities in that. I remember one day watching a race car driver and uh, a couple of people went up to him and quickly talked and then they walked around and I still stood in there and I said to him, oh, who are they looking for? And they said, oh, they're looking for me. And I said he was over there somewhere. So <laughs> I hadn't recognised him out of his race gear and that, <laughs> which unfortunately there's a few of them fellas around, but uh, they're all getting a little bit better. Yeah. I can just imagine, I mean, I watched a, a show on Netflix there the other week, which was the story of Nicky Lauder and uh, James Hunt. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the rivalry between them and the fact that they loved each other, but they loved to hate each other as well. Yeah. Is there a bit of that in the pits as well? That's the thing, they used to be, mm. and now most drivers like each other, you know, they all seem to get on. Yep. And I remember when the Americans were, were doing a run for America, they had all these supercars having crashes and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then we had a few of them that came out for the iconic Bathurst race. Yeah. And I can't remember the two drivers, oh, I can't think who it was, but they went up the hill and they both rolled over, crashed in and rolled over, and they basically hopped out and they hugged each other. And the American fellas thought they should have been biffing on, like having a good old festy calf, but no, they all sort of just checking everyone out, make sure they're all good. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought, yeah, it's probably how it's changed. You know, years ago, everyone used to get a bit cranky and run down and abuse everyone or, not, you know, threaten them. If you do it again, I'll uh, knock you around on the track, so... Yeah. Well, didn't someone throw a helmet at one of the cars that went past or something once, was it? Yeah, I've got a funny feeling uh, our good friend uh, Mark Scaifer and Russell Ingle have a bit of a thing when, <laughs> when one swerved and one went to throw. And I, yeah. I don't know if they're still good friends or they've got past that, but... You guys are mythical creatures. You run up and down the road and we see you and you sort of live in a different world to the world that a lot of us other professional drivers inhabit. Yes. It's a bit of a different thing. And, you know, you see you at the roadhouses and being pulled up at Port Augusta, for example, and seen three or four pulled up side by side. And you think to yourself, gee, don't they look good? And, and how do they keep it going the way they do? They're a credit to you the way they look. Obviously, you spend the time to keep them looking that way. Yes, cleaning and shining and doing all that sort of stuff. And you normally find uh, most of them will travel in ones or twos. Yeah. Safety in numbers. And I've travelled with the same guy I've travelled with since uh, I was at SBR days. Uh, we um, just do our thing. And as far as, the, the, well, you know, it's like nowadays, it's hard to get into bloody truck stops at night. You can't get parks. You can't get proper food and that. So we start yeah. looking after ourselves. We cook, you know, our own meals on the road and we uh, just find somewhere to park out of the way and just, yeah, keep away from it all a little bit. And obviously you get the you've got the public interest in what you do as well. So you probably pull up and fans will be wanting to pull up and take pictures and Yes. You've got to have your game face on the whole time once you leave the workshop, don't you? Exactly right. And sometimes that can be a curse and other times be quite good. I remember stopping we were in Tasmania hmm. and all the transporters had stopped. We'd gone a parade into town and then we ring the rag wagons at a big oval and all the little public came in and that and then uh, some had asked me are there race cars in there? And I says, oh, yeah, there are still, everything's still in there. So then I opened the side door up so they could have a look. Yeah. But when you open the side door and look in, all you see is the nice bottom of the engine and all the nice exhaust work and uh, everything under a supercar you don't normally see. And then I had someone else lined up and then more people and then someone came over, we're off, and I had this whole line. I think it was all the Tasmania all lined up. Yeah. And then one of the guys says, I said, sorry, I'm off now. He goes, well, I haven't been in. I've been lined up. I said, it hasn't really been a show. But, you know, we were just sort of looking after everyone, so the few yeah. were a bit left and a bit annoyed. But they all got to walk in about a metre stand and look up and go, oh, is that what they look like? Wow. Yeah, no one else was doing that, so I thought I was pretty original. <laughs> Don, it's been a great pleasure to chat with you. Hey, no worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show, mate. G'day, my name is Don. I drive the MTI Truck Assist MSR V8 Supercar Transporter and I'm listening to the On The Road podcast on the Australian Big Rig Roadshow.
all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. 100 episodes. Mike, is it happy anniversary or should it be happy birthday? I don't know if it's happy anniversary or happy birthday, mate, but I'll tell you what, I'm so proud of the work that you and I have put in and, and our sponsors. So happy birthday, happy anniversary. I don't know, but it's happy something. I'm happy. Well, absolutely. And and it's still good to see even after 100 episodes, our numbers keep growing every week. Yeah. So as you said, we must be doing something right. Yeah. Mate, quite quickly, I've noticed our prize cupboard is getting a bit full. Mm. So we might have to maybe do some sort of a giveaway to coincide with the 100th. Anything in mind? Mate, we've got 10 subscriptions to Little Trucker Down Under to give away. Oh, cool. That's that New Zealand-based thing for kids, isn't it? That's the one, yeah, the kids' magazine. So the first 10 people to register their details will get a 12-month subscription to Little Trucker Down Under. It's a magazine targeted at the younger demographic, up to about you know the 12, 14-year age group. There's puzzles, pictures and collector cards and stories, and they look for kids to write in it as well. There's stories written by kids. Oh, excellent. This big kid's got a little story for <laughs> next month, so I, I penned a little bit for him. But it's really a great little magazine aimed at encouraging kids to think about transport as a career later on. Start at the start, mate. So what's your thing? Is it, this is a story from Uncle Mike. Story from Uncle Mike. <laughs> oh, that sounds scary, doesn't it? It does a bit. Come over here and, and talk to Uncle Mike. <laughs> oh, that's creepy. Yeah, we'll drop that bit out. <laughs> How do people get involved? How can they register their interest in winning a prize? They can text me on 0418 or they can email me at mike at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. The first 10 messages I get, we'll get the subscriptions and we'll work out the details for later on. But yeah, if you've got some kids or even if you know a school that might like a subscription for their library or something like that, mm. anyone like that, or if you've got a transport company and you've got some drivers who have got little kids, give them a prompt and tell them to send us an email. That's great. Very, very good little magazine. Love it. And this is for a 12-month subscription, isn't it? It is, yeah. Four issues, I think it is. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. Well, put in your entries, guys. Don't forget to address it to Uncle Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, mate. Apropos of my little story last week about my dad turning 100 and where I got my sense of humour from. Yep. I was reminded this week that the lady in the room next door to my old man, shortly after his 100th birthday, she had hers. Yeah. And Dad said, go and say happy birthday to her. And so I went in. I've met her before. And I said, how'd you go on your birthday? Anything exciting? She's got three really, really successful, quite rich grandchildren. Yeah. And I said, so what'd you get from your grandchildren? She said, well, one of them bought me a limousine with a chauffeur just so that I could go anywhere I wanted to and whatever. And I said, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. She said, and the other one bought me this luxury yacht so I can get out in the water. And yeah. She said, and then the third one gave me this incredible parrot that speaks eight languages to keep me company and all that. Yeah. And I said, wow, so that's pretty exciting. And she said, well, yeah, but I get motion sickness, so I don't like to drive much. And I certainly get seasick out on the boat. Yeah. She said, but geez, the chicken tasted nice. Oh, no. I'll tell you what, though. I was uh, talking to Dave McCoy on the Keep On Moving podcast on the weekend. Hmm. And uh, you've rubbed off on him, you have, mate. He's telling dad jokes now. Oh, good on him. Welcome to the club, buddy. said to me, why do they call them seagulls when they fly over the sea? I don't know, mate. I don't know. And he said, well, if they flew over the bay, they'd be called bagels. (laughs) 
As you said, on with the news. I think so. It's time. Our wonderful sponsor, NTI, has raised more than half a million dollars for motor neuron disease research through this year's raffle, with the prize being an amazing expedition truck. Yeah, that thing was quite incredible. It was a truck that had a camper built on the back of it that you could slide off. So you could use the truck for work, you could use the camper for play. Mm. Absolutely fantastic thing. $555,850 for research into motor neuron. Now, motor neuron is one of those things that NTI is very passionate about. Big time. Yeah, one of their former CEOs, Wayne Patterson, passed away from the disease in 2018. And ever since then, NTI have raised $1.5 million over four years to go into motor neuron research. Mm. And it's all been done with raffling off vehicles. So they've done a few of the jail bar cars and things like that. Yep. And it's going to happen into the future. Yeah, it was an interesting one this time. They generally rebuild to perfection an older vehicle, but this was the first time I think they've done like a brand new and It's amazing. So the lucky winner, Ian Fuller, was handed the keys there the other day and uh, they're going to take it for a trip up to far north Queensland. Great timing because they'd sold their caravan and they were wondering about what they were going to do. So now they're going to go for a trip in the uh, expedition vehicle and uh, they'll really enjoy that. What a great piece of machinery. What a great thing from NTI. Yeah. Just sort of ties in nicely to show you the sort of things that NTI do apart from insurance. And that's what the show's all about today. Great business to be associated with. I'm so proud to be part of it. Absolutely. And anyone that was at the truck show last year would have seen the truck that they did last year, which was just exceptional. Yeah. An old truck that had all modern running gear and was like driving a brand new car. It was just gorgeous. They do a great job. Yeah, they do. Mike, from this week, the diesel fuel excise was adjusted to compensate for inflation and it rose from 0.221 cents per litre to 0.230 cents per litre, with the National Road Transport Association saying it was the price hike the road transport industry didn't have to have. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of things that are going on that the transport industry don't have to have. Mm. And the ongoing increase in the price of diesel is one of those things. It's right up there. The government keeps chipping away all the time. You can't blame Labor. You can't blame Liberals. You can't blame anyone. It's just these things that are built in that chip away. And unfortunately, as I've said ad infinitum, people are sick of it. The conversation we should be having is not about this sort of stuff. It's about rates. Mm. We should be having CPI increases in our rates. Things keep going up. We can have a price freeze. Actually, I think a price freeze would be a good idea, but that's never going to happen. Nat Road CEO Warren Clark says all this is based on the upward movement of the CPI and he points out obviously that it doesn't seem like much, it seems inconsequential. But if you're running a big fleet and you're buying hundreds of thousands of litres of diesel, each and one of their members operates a fleet and they estimate that this increase alone is going to cost $1,500 a week, which is $80,000 a year, mm. which is someone's wage. That's what it equals. Mm -hmm. That money's got to be found from somewhere. It's got to be passed on to the customer. It's got to be passed on to the consumer down the line as the end user. I think it's time that we really started to have a good, sensible look at what's going on. They say, oh, this is affected by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I call bullshit on that. I really do. I'm surprised they're not blaming it on climate change or COVID, but anyway. Oh, but look, I mean, when I went to school, Ukraine was a little country near Russia. It was part of Russia, I think. Hmm. And I mean, the whole world's economy didn't revolve around Ukraine, and it doesn't now. Hmm. And I could get right off on my whole political idea about that, and I don't want to. But the short story about this, I'm fed up with blaming things for why things have happened, and that's just being good enough for an argument. Absolutely. Blame COVID for this. Blame climate change for that. Blame Ukraine for this. It's all crap. 
let's blame the fact that the governments can legislate about this. They're supposed to be working in our benefit, for our favour, and they work for us. Well, in the words of the Beach Boys. Wouldn't it be nice? Last weekend, the message to Canberra that the industry needs a standard-setting body to improve safety for drivers was hammered home with hundreds of trackies taking part in convoys around the country. Yeah, and they weren't protest convoys. They were just reminder convoys, Mm. reminding the government that this is what you said you were going to do and these are people that are supporting it. Could we call them shirt-fronting convoys? We could. We could call them shirt-fronting convoys. I'm a little bit disappointed. I mean, Canberra's only a couple of hours down the road from me. I'd really like to have been there for it. Hmm. There's a lot of things that are being said about the safe rates convoy. I really wish that the TWU would learn a lesson. Mm-hmm. Safe rates is something that's very, very, very tied to the whole RSRT argument. And I know we're talking about a very similar sort of thing. Mm. And I'm not one to think about optics usually, you know. Mm-hmm. But we need to get away from the idea that what we're talking about is something other than driver safety, something other than owner driver safety, something other than the general public safety. As I've said again and again and again, and this puts me in bed with the TWU, for God's sake. Again. That makes me on the same side as Glenn Stirl, as far as all this goes. We have far more in common, all sides, then we have differences. Yep. We need to work on the stuff that we've got in common, but we also need to come to grips with the fact that when we're talking about road safety, we're talking about maintenance, we're talking about actual results and what happens on the road, anyone that suggests that that's not tied to rates is living under a rock. Mm. And anyone who thinks that we can just get away with all these Band-Aid patch-ups all the time, we really need to sit down and have a talk about things and sort them out. And that's why I'm happy that the National Road Freighters Association are supporting this whole thing. We don't agree with the TWU on a lot of things. We don't agree with the ATA on a lot of things. But there are some things we agree on. And one of them is that owner drivers and companies need to be paid properly for the work they do. Yep, absolutely. And if they call that safe rates, well, that's what it is. It's safe rates. Yeah. As Elvis said, hey, a little less conversation, a little more action. Indeed. Mm. Indeed. Meanwhile, Mike, in New South Wales, truckies will see a national heavy vehicle regulator logo and new uniforms for heavy vehicle service and compliance officers from this week. Yep. Start of August, there's a new sheriff in town in New South Wales. Mm. Support your local sheriff. In HVR has taken over from the RMS and that gives the NHVR a fair bit of continuity. Now, there's a couple of things to understand. The first thing is that the NHVR enforces laws that are promulgated within the states. Mm-hmm. So there, there are going to be some differences for the time being and some of that stuff's got to be ironed out. But I honestly believe from meeting Sal Petrucido and, and John Gilbert and having conversations with them, they're of the belief that they can iron these issues out and make life better for everyone. Mm. The roadside attitude test should be a thing of the past, and uh, hopefully we're going to end up with a little bit more communication and a little bit less pineapple action. Yes. Road Freight New South Wales CEO Simon O'Hara has welcomed the move, and I think that anyone who's really thinking seriously about the level of interaction that we have with the various enforcement agents around the country needs to understand that having one body responsible for the majority of what goes on in the states with respect to transport law and enforcement is only a good thing. And it's just going to take a little while to line some things out. So let's see what happens. 
There'll be some changes of some cars and badges and things like that. 330-odd staff have changed over, and we'll see what happens. We will indeed. Mm. Now, Mike, finally, in keeping with our 100th birthday anniversary, whatever it is, theme, mm. former truckie and Hall of Fame inductee, a trailblazer whose career spanned more than 50 years, Mavis Jarrett has celebrated her 100th birthday. She does. Happy birthday, Mavis. You're a true legend. Happy birthday, Mavis. Lives down in Nil in Victoria, and she's just a legend of a lady. Mm. Go to the bigrigs.com.au webpage and you'll see the story there. Legendary former truckie celebrates her 100th birthday. There's a couple of lovely photos of her and a couple of old bangers there. And there's a link right at the bottom to the ABC interview where you can go and listen to what she said. She reckons she didn't think that she'd make it. She's been crooked for the last couple of years, mm. but she has. And she's been living there in that same place for like 70 years. She drove up until she was 71 years old, you know. Fantastic. Tell you what, she did it hard too. Mm. Buddy old trucks, no air conditioning, no little niceties. You've got to think that she's made some pretty stern stuff. As Monty Python would say. Are you trying to tell the young people of today that? And they won't believe you. <laughs> yep, that's right. Mm. Unbelievable. What an effort. Go there and have a look at the story and slip down and have a listen to the interview. It's a great interview. Brilliant. Now, because this show's already about 11 hours long, it's probably our biggest one ever yet, but, jeez, mm. we turn 100, why not? Yeah. I believe there may be a little bit of late breaking news. Oh, yeah. Beep, 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 breaking news. There we go. There we go. <laughs> we all remember what happened with the Volkswagen Golfs and the fuel emission thing and the recalls and all that sort of stuff. Remember that story? Oh, bring back your Golfs. Bring back your Golfs, yep. Well, Hino, mate. Yep. Hino have suffered the same sort of shenanigans in Japan. Oh, dear. There's been some, shall we say, false messaging about what the emissions are. Mm -hmm. And what that means that in Australia right now, Hino have suspended orders and suspended deliveries of new trucks in Australia until we get the answers from what's going on in Japan. Oh. This has only happened in the last day or so that it's come to light. I've only really heard about it today, so I'm sure that there'll be something there on the Big Rigs page if you go and have a look. I'm sure that James won't have missed that one. Absolutely not, man. That's something that's happening, mate. Shenanigans in Japan. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought, indeed. Speaking of thought, thought for the week, Mike. Okay, hit me. Sophia Loren once said, you have to be born a sex symbol, you don't become one. Mm. If you're born with it, you'll have it even when you're 100 years old. So... To all our valued listeners and friends, thanks for still finding On the Road Sexy after 100 episodes. <laughs> oh, mate. As Jeff Fennick would say. I love yous all. We love yous all. Thanks, buddy. Happy birthday, mate. Happy birthday, mate. Take care. I'll see you later. Cheers. On the Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, g'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. 
There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Once again, I've got Adam Gibson, risk assessment engineer from NTI with us. Now, I talk about some things that came up, obviously, uh, in the recent NRFA conference. Now, there were six questions that they were asked. We're not going to talk about all six questions. We're just going to take a couple of the questions over the next couple of weeks, and we're just going to have a look at some of those and some of the conversation that we had around them. So we talked about road and road access, the HVNL review, and what that means for productivity with PBS vehicles. Adam Gibson, welcome back to the show, mate. Uh, thank you for having me, Mike. Great to be back. Mate, it was a pretty full-on sort of a conversation that we were having there about these things. So let's talk about the PBS HML stuff. Yeah, so the third question in the six questions the NRFA looked to discuss mm. was around uniformity between jurisdictions around PBS, extending the length for 2B PBS vehicles up to 32 metres and granting HML to concessional mass operators. They're all valid points, and I think they all come with opportunities to improve productivity and efficiency of transport. But what hit me was we're looking there at four or five separate fights across, even if you limit it just to the HVNL jurisdictions, to six jurisdictions just to get that. So you've got 30 fights to have just on that little list. Mm. So what I've tried to do is try to frame some of the discussion that I see and look at a different approach. How do we be a bit smarter as an industry and try to make changes and fight for the changes that will see further reforms drive themselves rather than us having to fight for each one in time? So the first thing I did, it's on the first slide, was I mapped the average articulated vehicle's payload in Australia, so whether it's a, a semi or a road train, any, anything with a prime mover at the front of it, basically over the last 50 years in Australia. Yeah. And what you see is a long period of productivity growth going from the mid-70s through to about 1990, which I ascribe to what I call the professionalisation of interstate road freight. This was the adoption of the six-axle semi-trailer as the backbone of East Coast haulage particularly. Mm. Then there's a little tiny plateau around 1990, and then from 1993, 1994 onwards, we see another long period of growth. And I don't need to tell any one of your listeners what that is. Mm. That was the widespread adoption of the B-double that saw dramatic increases in the productivity of Australian long-distance road freight and really put us ahead of the rest of the world in that space. But in about 2007, that productivity growth stops. And there's some simple reasons behind that. We hit peak B-double was really it, that road access changes stopped happening as fast. So where you could take a B-double stopped increasing at the same rate. And ultimately, you get to a point where every load that can be on a B-double is on a B-double. And we, I think we pretty much hit that. Mm. Now, your listeners will have a fair idea that there was really an opportunity at that point to keep that productivity moving upwards, which would have been widespread, gazetted or notice-based access for PBS combinations. But we all know that simply hasn't happened. The greatest pain of the PBS space is individual businesses having to apply for permits for individual freight tasks 
And it means that you're simply never going to be able to approve permits fast enough to change the numbers at the sort of scale that I'm showing on this graph. And as a result, inaction or misdirected action by road managers in Australia has seen productivity stagnate for the best part of a decade. And when that happens, I think as an industry, we suffer because it's when someone finds some really nifty new way of moving freight that there's really great opportunities for everyone in those businesses to do well. And so it's been a tough time as a result of that. And I think that goes to how we need to change the discussion. We need to look at how do we hold road managers to account for the decisions that they either do make or more particularly for the decisions they don't make. Yeah. And so on the next slide, I pulled up a quote out of Infrastructure Australia to really hammer this home. I'll read it in full here if you'll allow me. Yeah. The nation's 800,000 kilometer, $150 billion stock of roads is not subjected to even cursory national condition assessment. This represents a difference between roads and all other economic infrastructure, energy, telecommunications, rail, water, etc. And that was a quote from no less than Infrastructure Australia back in 2019. And it goes to the absence of any performance measures around the road managers who are meant to be managing that $150 billion taxpayer asset. Mm. And it goes also to what I think we could do in this space. The first thing we need to do is we need to find what those measures should be. How do we measure the impact of those decisions? I can measure them in safety. I would argue that the a PBSB triple is probably the single safest way to move road freight in the world. Right. That we, I don't think there's any way better. So when I saw Rod Hannafy drive out of an RFA conference pulling a B triple, it made me feel very happy. Hmm. But you can also measure it in terms of strata productivity. What is the price for the rest of the economy to move freight in Australia? How much does it cost to move a 20-foot shipping container, whether it's got you know, grain or something else in it, from Toowoomba to the Port of Brisbane? How much does it cost to move one pallet space from Wollongong to Sydney? And you can come up with a shopping cart of those and track it over time. So when productivity stagnates and we don't deliver the rest of the economy, that becomes really evident. The next thing we need to do is stop thinking we're going to achieve significant improvement by hammering the NHVR. Mm. Even if they processed their step of permit as fast as physical, almost instantly, they're still going to sit with road managers for potentially 28 days or longer. It's going to be the HVNL review that sees change in this space. What I say in the slide is change the rules, don't argue with the referee. Yeah, well, I was absolutely gobsmacked when I was sitting there listening to what the HVNL is like to deal with as a thing and what the NHVR can actually do. <laughs> it's just diabolically stupid. The thousand pages of the HVNL as it stands very much ties their hand. It tells them exactly what they can and can't do. Hmm. And yeah, they can do their bit perfectly well. But so much of the power was retained by the road managers who were meant to be handing it off to this arm's length regulator. Hmm. So the regulator, to some degree, just cops the blame, but doesn't actually have the power or the tools to make the change. We need to fix that. Hmm. And that pretty nicely brings me to my final point. It's not coincidence that the road managers retained this power. Because they, you know, directors general of the state transport departments will be the ones who make recommendations to ministers of what both well, what the first HVNL was and what its replacement may or may not contain. Mm. And they are, if we're honest, unlikely to volunteer themselves to give up a whole bunch of their authority and take on a whole lot of accountability. Mm. But that's the outcome we as an industry need, as an economy we need. So our biggest focus as an industry, in my view, needs to be on how do we influence what's called the ITMM, which is the Infrastructure and Transport Meeting of Ministers. 
which is the biannual, twice a year meeting of state and territory plus the federal transport ministers. And we need to make sure that their ministers aren't just being given the narrative from the transport departments, they're also effectively hearing from the industry that will be impacted by the outcomes of those decisions. Yeah. That's a pretty tall order though, mate. I don't think, as you say, people are going to be looking forward to being more accountable, are they? Oh, absolutely, Mike. I don't don't disagree at all. If we want to succeed in driving better outcomes from the transport industry, action is the only choice. If you sit back and do nothing, then in my review, you effectively forfeit your right to complain about the outcomes. Mm. The associations need to make sure we're organised and of one voice, and people need to be writing to both their transport ministers in each state, but also to their local members. Triply so if you happen to live in a key transport area. So if you live in Dubbo, Wagga, Toowoomba, any of these sorts of towns, make sure that your local state MP knows about your concerns about the HVL review, but it will ultimately be about making the case sufficiently strongly to ministers that they are willing to make their own decisions rather than just rubber stamping the advice from their departments. Yeah. And I think that that's probably a great place to leave it. If you've got something to say, by all means, say it to your ministers and you know, join an association. So at least then you've got a voice, whether it's the NRFA or whether it's someone else. You need to take the opportunity and have your voice heard. If you're not talking, you're not helping. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Mike. Taking us out of our Mega 100th show this week is a new friend Aussie songstress teaming up with our old friends Darlinghurst with her brand new song. Here's Amber Lawrence and Darlinghurst with Living for the Highlights. Came off the long weekend Spent it with a bunch of new friends Wondering where these people had been all my life It got me thinking about the future How I'm not a fortune teller But good things can come along at any time So let's go win the lottery Write a song, take it to the Grammys We're all so dying The music ran out faster than the beer But we still raise a cup Cause it's better than giving up
that's the show for another week. Thanks for coming along for the ride. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. And Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. Be sure to join us again next week when Mike says... Go off and curl up in a corner, I know I've done that. Andy says... I say get that. And our guest says... That's scary. Until then, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. Write a song, take it to the Grammys We're all slowly dying Silence